Hi everyone, welcome to episode 2 of I Hope You Exist, your show for everything involving cryptids, monsters, aliens, and anything else in the realm of strangeness. I'm government cover-up Justin Butler. And I am Roswell crash survivor Shane Quick. And if it wasn't obvious, today's subject is Roswell, New Mexico, and everything that went down there. <laughs> and there's a lot, so strap in. We're not going to cover everything. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, there's there's so much to this, um, and our show is more like quick bites and discussion about uh, the topic of the week. Uh, and this is something that there are just... Tens of thousands of words you can read, and hours of documentaries you could watch, and, yeah. and analyses. To and give you an it, idea for how long this has been going on, this incident happened in 1947. It's been 73 years. And there has been 73 years worth of people researching it, and still no one has any physical definitive proof of if this actually happened or not. Yeah, yeah, it, it's absolutely insane. Um, so how this episode's gonna work, uh, is we're going to give you a quick breakdown of the history, the hard facts of what happened. Uh, then we're gonna get into some more specific topics and start talking about our uh, perceptions of things. But first, we have news pieces for the week. Shane, what did you bring to the table? My news piece is rather recent. It comes from Hawaii, actually, a city near Honolulu. I can't remember exactly how to say the name of the city it does take place in, um, so I'm not going to try. But um, it comes from an ABC news station, Channel 7. Um, this was posted Monday, January 4th of 2021, so it's just last month that this happened. Um Basically, some locals had spotted a bright blue object just floating in the sky, you know, acting weird, looking like a UFO, um, and a bunch of people saw it. There's video footage of it. To me, when they zoom in on one of the video footage uh, that's posted on the news channel website, it kind of looks like a giant blue floating dildo, <laughs> which is just great. Um, Beautiful. Yeah. So, yeah. Um there were so many reported sightings of this to the Honolulu Police Department that the Honolulu Police Department contacted the FAA and asked them if there had been any flights in that area and had any of them gone missing. And the FAA said no, there were no scheduled flights in the area and they're not aware of any that have gone missing in recently huh. at all. So basically, a bunch of people are seeing this thing and no one can explain what it is. So... The people, um, the video footage that's posted on the page is this lady who actually tracks it down with her husband. They kind of follow it for a little bit, and they eventually make it to the edge of, uh, they make it to a beach. And they watch this thing silently go into the ocean and never come back out. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and when did this happen? This was Monday, January 4th of this year, 2021. Oh wow! I don't. I do not know how I missed that. I'm gonna have to I, check that out. I had to dig for it. Um, like always, we'll include the link in some kind of social media post so you guys can look at it as well. Um, the other curious thing about this, let's see. 
Oh, I think I covered everything. Never mind. So yeah, um, we'll put that up. What's your interesting story for the week? Uh, so physicist Avi Loeb um, has a new book out called Extraterrestrial, The First Sign of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth. Uh, it came out this year, and the purpose of the book is to explain his theory uh, for a strange object that was seen maneuvering through our solar system in October of 2017. Um, the object is called, weirdly enough, also involving uh, Hawaii. Uh, and again, forgive any pronunciation of anything other than uh, very English <laughs> names. Uh, uh, the name of the object is Aumuamua, which means scout in uh, Hawaiian. And there's been some debate as to what it could be. Um, it has the classic sh uh, cigar-like or pancake shape that uh, has been associated with uh, UFOs for, well, got since Roswell, since even a little before Roswell. Um, and uh, Professor Loeb has said uh, he believes it's some type of uh, light sail propul uh, propulsion system. Uh, which just means it's powered by stellar radiation. We actually sent our own light sail satellite out uh, a few years ago. The Planetary Society did. Uh, it's very cool technology. If you are at all a science dork, look into it. Uh, I, I love it. Um, but uh, he, this is a guy who has worked. Uh, he's collaborated with Stephen Hawking before. Like He is a well-respected physicist. Uh, but of course, this... Uh, book and his findings of what happened in 2017 has caused his career to kind of take a dive as it um, always does yes uh one one astrophysicist uh was quoted saying he was a once respected uh scientist but failed to convince his peers so now he panders to the public uh not cool man <laughs> yeah yeah, uh, so just very interesting. Um, I would say I'd read the book, but I have stacks and stacks and stacks of books that I have not read yet. Uh, but I will definitely uh, read a summary and continue uh, looking into it. It's kind of awesome that we're having all of this activity uh, so close together. There's the whole thing that happened with that world leader. I, I can't remember his name saying that uh, we had been uh, offered to be in the galactic, galactic federation yeah which uh i imagine we'll do a whole episode on that subject uh it's very very cool but between that and this amuamua thing and what shane just reported on it seems like we are in a uh interesting time for for ufology uh which kind of scares me because if you buy into the ufology theory that uh they really only make large-scale appearances when they think humanity is on the brink of destroying itself. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And th and that, I'm a little terrified. Yeah, and that kind of ropes into all this Roswell stuff because a lot of people think that uh, way back in 1947, uh, around the Roswell, New Mexico area, even before the incident, people were reporting sightings of UFOs. And if you didn't know, the... Roswell Army Airfield there, that's what the base was called before the Air Force was created. The Air Force did not exist in 1947, so this was before even the Air Force existed. Um, you know, they were testing nuclear weaponry out there. That's where they were testing the atomic bomb. Mm. That's where the 509th Bomb Squadron was stationed at that Roswell Army Airfield base. Um, so yeah, like all of America's best weapons at the time were basically in that area and there was tons of ufo activity reported 
Yeah, it, it's very interesting. Um, and that's why that's why UFO sightings and um, Roswell mania uh, really picked up. Like, it was a big deal when it happened, but in uh, the Cold War era, uh, ufology was really going through a big um, awakening, I'll say, for lack of a better word. Even the government was part of it with Project Blue Book. Yep. Which is oh, a direct man. result of the Roswell incident, because a lot of people uh, involved with the Roswell incident are a part or were a part of Project Blue Book. That's a that's a whole other topic for a whole other episode. But Project yes. Blue Book is some fascinating stuff. Yeah, uh, very fascinating stuff. But this is actually a good point to segue right into our main topic today. Um, so I'm going to rapid fire just basic facts just the the cliff notes of the cliff notes of the event um just so when we reference things later uh the audience will be able to keep track a little more yeah uh so here we go okay as shane mentioned before uh july of 1947 there was a lot of uh reports of unidentified objects in the sky around roswell new mexico um in early July, it was reported that there was a crashed object. Um, now, before the army uh, proper got there, there were a couple people who went to some of the debris sites, uh, William Brazel being one of the most famous. And before the army came and collected their big samples, uh, Major Jesse Marcel uh, was on the scene. He actually took some of the items and uh, showed his family before reporting into his commanding officer. Um Shortly after Jesse Marcel went and told his commander, the army came in, scooped up the debris. Uh, a report came out saying that they didn't know the exact identity of what was found, but did confirm that there was a crash there. Um, and this is really where the cover-up began as Jesse Marcel started talking more to his commanding officers. Uh, the story quickly went from, we don't know what this is and we're investigating, to just kind of a thrown together it was a weather balloon type thing um well it is it is important to say the the newspaper article that was the public relations from the army to the public at first was they had recovered a flying saucer that was literally yes what they said correct correct um so that obviously that tune changed very quick uh to where it was a weather balloon uh this is where we get the whole idea of a government cover-up in roswell just how quickly things happened and the official reports coming from the military not matching up with eyewitness reports to the degree that family members and uh people who lived long enough to talk to uh, major media outlets a few years later were saying that there were threats of violence from the government uh against themselves and their families uh Yep. With one person reporting that they said they would not only kill them, but their children and grandchildren as well. Their entire um, family. Yep. So that's really what happened in the 40s. As time went on, more and more people started talking. Uh, specifically, Jesse Marcel uh, started becoming very vocal later in his life. Um, to the point that uh, the government officially reported on it with the Roswell Report and published a book called The Roswell Report Case Closed. Yes. Uh, <laughs> in July of 1994, um, where they said that the weather balloon that was found was for Project Mogul, 
which doesn't really line up because a lot of what was involved in Project Mogul didn't even exist until the 50s, specifically the mid to late 50s. Um, so it just seemed like a uh, a rushed explanation. Now, I'm wondering, uh, this isn't anywhere, this is just a personal theory of mine. I'm wondering if they rushed so quick to put out the Roswell report, case closed, in July of 94, because it was like in the very, very early stages of the internet, and uh, because nerds mostly at that point had the internet, so I'm sure that there was a lot of... Uh, online discussion about roswell yeah. so the government put out enough quote-unquote official statement people were talking about it a lot also there was a book released in the mid-1980s called uh, the roswell incident which was very popular mm. um so that brought awareness to it i think that was the first book published on the subject um and also there actually was an inquiry to the government from a senator of new mexico uh that initiated that report he asked them oh, okay he asked them to gather documents relating to the roswell incident and basically give it to the public and let them know what actually happened and the government comes back with oh well we said it was a weather balloon but actually it was a top secret weather balloon uh, project mogul and even though the pieces of the project mogul balloon when they're separated are not classified none of that technology was top secret it was just common like household items that you could use put together to make this balloon it's also worth mentioning that the balloon was said to be a spy device they were trying to spy on the russians and seeing if they yes. were testing nuclear weaponry is what the balloons uh, were for as we said we were like uh we were coming out of world war ii um the cold war was really starting to have its uh formative period here there was a lot of mistrust between uh the u.s and the soviets um so this is where all the uh spy thrillers yeah. <laughs> that you know and love come from this time period uh so of, co of course uh the u.s military was doing a lot of um espionage experiments and top secret uh satellites and the like to spy on the uh nuclear capability of their enemies um all of that is all of that is fact there's records of experiments like that however specifically project mogul does not really in my opinion line up enough with roswell i think it's just a convenient no. excuse uh that is good enough for a lot of people yes um so speaking of the items that were found uh on the site uh from first-hand accounts uh william brazel who was uh believed to be the first person on any of the debris sites um what he got his hands on uh were, was a piece of metal that he said was like a very strong aluminum you could crumple it up and it would just flatten itself back out uh such a material uh, would also be uh stated by Jesse Marcel uh, to exist. That's something he said he got his hands on. Uh, Jesse Marcel also found what he said was an I-beam with writing on it, but someone else, uh, I can't remember his name, someone else uh, in the 509th uh, said it wasn't really an I-beam, it was more like this indestructible wood. Yes. 
with writing on and it. Jesse um, Marcel later on in his life in an interview with a uh, family friend who lived in Louisiana where he spent the rest of his days after all of his New Mexico mm-hmm. stints. Um, she clarified with him, was it an I-beam or was it wood-like? And he told her from her account that it was wood-like, not not like a steel, tiny little I-beam, but like a piece of wood that had metal properties and had writing on it. Interesting. Oh, yeah. God, what a... I wish there was a photo or something of the actual item. Um, oh. It's also worth, worth saying a big part of the research uh, Shane and I did um for this was watching uh history channels history's greatest mysteries uh their three-part episode on roswell which uh the history channel a lot of stuff is uh over dramatized and played up for the sake of being interesting to watch Uh, interesting for your grandpa to watch on history channel it's so Um, funny but there is some good stuff in there i basically viewed it like skimming a wikipedia page to where it was giving me good information but then i would need to like go uh deep dive into it to get the full story about it yeah and uh tangent on my tangent speaking of wikipedia if you read the wikipedia page for the roswell ufo incident it is clearly written by somebody who is like it's not aliens believe the government yeah yeah (laughs) it's like the lamest ufo uh wikipedia page i've ever seen in my life that makes sense i mean (laughs) You would think after all this time, and especially now that the Air Force has officially said that anyone who was threatened by the government or was told to keep their mouth shut is absolved of that now, that basically they have nothing to worry about. The government's not going to pursue them if they start talking about it because it's been so long. And that was yeah. that was in the 90s that they did that. So Yeah, real convenient that they waited like 50 years after everyone, yeah. like after it's become such a big pop culture thing and they've like been able to dispute it enough for the public at large just be like, oh, crazy people believing in UFOs. Mm -hmm. Like, after it was something that could have broken the world, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, now it's fine to talk about it. (laughs) Waiting until all of the witnesses who were old enough to, you know, be respected in their testimony are either dead or, you know, really old. Uh, Yeah, Grandpa's just making up stories. Yeah, so it's pretty crazy. But luckily, there were still a lot of survivors that um, prominent researchers were able to interview and get their accounts, uh, you know, and there has been just from the book that I read witness to Roswell by Don Schmidt and Thomas Carey, they've interviewed over, they say over 600 people relating to this. And that's like, you know, people who were there and can be verified that they worked on the base at the time, as well as their family members and the stories that their family members heard from either people who were there and have since passed away or people who are still alive, but unwilling to talk. Yeah. So it's, it's very interesting. Um, And that's kind of, you know, the name of the book is witness to Roswell. It's called that because there is, like I said earlier, there's no physical evidence. Nobody has any Mm -hmm. hard, physical evidence that can one way or another be you know examined to tell if if something was actually out there that we had no idea what it was yeah it's all uh eyewitness testimony which nowadays is um the family accounts of an eyewitness testimony and that uh original press release from the army uh those are about the the most uh, tangible pieces of evidence that we have. And and it gets harder and harder to verify as we go on because um, we're basically playing the, we're basically 
playing telephone with these facts of someone who was there told somebody who then told their kid and uh, now in 2021 told their kids. So we're like two or three generations, yeah. maybe even four generations in some cases yeah. removed from uh, the original eyewitness. I mean, uh, 73 years is a long time. That's almost yeah. a century. That's nearing a century. So hmm. it's um, and another interesting thing um, regarding our sources, the history's greatest mysteries on the history channel Um they introduced some new evidence from the family of Jesse Marcel. He has a journal um, from that time period, and it's not his handwriting in the journal. They had, you know, a lady do a handwriting analysis on it and gave them gave her samples of Jesse Marcel's handwriting. She concluded it's not his. Um, so they're kind of on the hunt to figure out who wrote this, and they kind of point to um, Colonel Sa- Saunders, Patrick Saunders, as the likely culprit for writing this. And they think he wrote after the 1947 events, the style of writing in the journal changes and they think he wrote Mm -hmm. it in code. So they've given this journal to the top, um, cryptology, not cryptologists. Yeah. Cryptology cryptologists at, um, I can't remember where it was some university. Anyway, uh, check it out on history channel. It's really interesting. And it just came out this year or end of 2020, beginning of 2021. Um, so yeah, that's still yeah. a mystery that's hanging out there. They haven't decoded this journal yet. Yeah, that's something I'm going to be paying very close attention to. I mean, even if it ends up like not being uh, about uh, aliens at Roswell, the the journal is weird enough just from what I've seen and read about it. It's interesting. That I think there is something in there. Um, but who knows how long it's going to take. Didn't we just like uh, last month finally... Uh, decipher one of the zodiacs uh letters like yep. uh code breaking on this scale really really can't take especially a while. when you, I- you don't know what the cipher is which is their problem they have no idea right. what the cipher to read the code is so they're trying to figure out how to identify a cipher right it's very it's very interesting um i hope they i hope they break it uh in the next 10 years yeah <laughs> i'm very impatient yeah uh it's exciting stuff. They really need to release it to the public so amateur cryptologists can take a look at it too. Because, you know, more eyes on it, the more likely it is to be cracked. So I'm hoping that they do yeah. eventually post digital copies of it so other people can look at it. One thing mm-hmm. I do want to point out about that journal is the first entry after the 1947 events is a quote about Jonah and the whale. And it says, when you're down in the belly of the whale, um, don't worry, Jonah made it out just fine. Which is very kind of like, dark and you know mysterious in a way like before that quote the handwriting is completely different and it's all just like random quotes from famous people pretty much is what they said i haven't actually read it myself but um they do show that next line after the 1947 event 47 events and it's like oh that's creepy i'm i'm wondering if like uh if it if that part was written after they were told to shut up about the event and change their story and everything. And so that was him like, uh, wanting to reveal the truth and like kind of a mantra to himself saying that like, we're, we're in the thick of it now. Like things are dark, but Joe and I made it out just fine. So will we like, right. Yeah. I'm choosing to take it as like, uh, an inspiring thing for that person yes. instead of just like because it, it could be read very bleak and within the <laughs> letters themselves like some of them are capitalized some of them are not some letters are written slightly different and they 
these patterns occur throughout the text all the time so that's why they think it's encoded that there's because no one writes an m like that yeah no one writes an m like three seven yeah it's very <laughs> strange very cool stuff though um yeah so we kind of went off on a tangent there do you want to bring it back to yeah. any uh event in particular well um I, I think we covered the the very, very bare bones uh, version of the timeline. Uh, do you have anything you want to bring up about uh, William, quote unquote, Mac Brazel? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So William Mac Brazel, um, he is the rancher. He worked on Foster Ranch. He did not own it interestingly enough like a lot of people around that area did on their ranches he just worked on it he maintained it for a family who was super rich and they owned a couple ranches in new mexico and they had their hands in oil and all kinds of stuff so basically he's just the warden of this land and he needs to make sure that the animals are eating and you know moving to where they're supposed to go and one day the july 4th weekend he goes out there to get the sheep to go to their grass area to eat and they will not cross this field because it's covered in these weird materials that he describes as being, you know, metal that can bend and then retain, go back to its original shape. And right. uh, all these like, you know, weird beams that have strange writing on them. Um, he doesn't know what to make of it. And he ends up collecting some of these materials, showing it to his rancher friends. And another interesting thing about the very beginning of this, I want to say is that nobody was out there looking for this stuff. The government was yeah. not out there looking for this stuff. Nobody would have known about this if Mac Brazel hadn't have went to Roswell and reported it to uh, the sheriff, George Wilcox, who then went and reported it to the Roswell Army Airfield. Yes. So it, that yeah, tells uh, a lot right there. Like, they weren't even looking for this stuff, and it's a top-secret project. Basically. Yeah. Uh, red flags Red flags are everywhere. I, I, I guess it's safe to say... Uh, we're going to talk more about our opinions later. I think it's safe to say that uh, neither Shane nor myself are in the, it was a satellite no. <laughs> or a weather balloon from the army. I I don't buy that no. at all. There are way <laughs> too many credible witnesses and stories that match up well enough that th that this many people could be lying and creating such an elaborate lie about a ufo crash when all of their stories make sense together like yeah and and you know the air force's version of events do not make sense so it's really hard to reconcile that and say oh it must have just been a weather balloon no even if it wasn't a ufo it was something that humanity has no idea or had no idea what it was at the time yeah yeah uh I just I I really don't think it matches up uh, anything that the government has officially came out with. Um and now I personally believe uh yes, it is uh, extraterrestrials. I can't tell you for a fact that I know that. Uh to do so would be buying into the argument of ignorance fallacy. Um mm -hmm. I'm just saying based on the research that I have done, I truly truly uh am leaning towards the, definitely aliens this yeah. com combined with everything else in ufology i uh i i am firmly in the extraterrestrial camp yeah many of the <laughs> lieutenants colonels generals that were involved with this whole thing that did come forward and tell their version of the events they they all talk about 
bodies being recovered three a lot of them will say the same thing three dead one alive so they Mm -hmm. actually mention a live alien being recovered from the the actual impact site the other thing that's interesting is mac brazel found the the, what they call the debris field which is closer to corona new mexico than roswell um and then they think that this object hit the earth in the debris filled area scarred the earth bounced back up into the air and then landed miles further south 25 miles away yeah in at the impact what? site yeah what weather balloon is going to be traveling at such a speed that it smacks into the earth bounces flies 25 miles and then crashes it it, it doesn't add up no Does and a weather up. balloon would not leave a scar in the earth like this whatever that object was did and you know yeah there are people who have gone out to the the debris field and done geographical or geological surveys of the land and they do say yes it seems weird there are anomalies here that don't make sense we don't really know. We can't say one way or another exactly what it was, but it's strange. So, you know? Yeah, like, it, it, it's such an interesting... Uh, ufology in general um, it relies on there being uh, something unexplained uh, because we might be working with uh, materials that aren't of this Earth. So when there's something unexplained like that uh no one can come out and definitively go oh it's this from this other planet they just have to say no we don't know what it is but nothing known on earth that we are aware of can do this they have to like do a lot of caveats yeah uh for scientific uh integrity which i'm all for yeah i'm all for it's just it's always interesting that's why uh ufology as a study is often discredited um because it is it is the study of uh things that we aren't able to explain explain there yeah. yeah somebody's it's, got it's, try. it's built into the nature yeah people are willing to try and i think that's great and i think it's being taken more and more seriously every day especially when the government itself is you know declassifying videos of like pilots tracking ufos and not being able to explain what those objects are and then releasing them and saying yes this was official footage like yeah you know that it's just becoming more and more common that these things are being taken seriously so interesting times for sure to rope it back around though um another interesting thing about all the research done in the book i read witness to roswell um Astronaut Edgar D. Mitchell, he was the lunar module operator of Apollo 14, has an entry at the very beginning of the book endorsing all of the research that was done. Um, Which is, you know, it's just interesting to see that an astronaut who's literally, like, been up in space has read this book and is putting his endorsement Vouching for it, it. yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) he, he actually grew up in Roswell, New Mexico, too, which is also interesting. He remembers all of the events back when he was a kid, and he's like, you know, I found this really interesting. I think it makes a lot of sense because a lot of weird things happened around that time. Yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely. Um, so getting back into the narrative of things, uh, uh, Mac Brazel uh, found what he found, reported it. 
the army got involved. This is when uh, Jesse Marcel enters the enters the narrative. Um, now he's not at the same debris site as a Mac Brazel. Uh, uh, Jesse Marcel is at the what is known as the main the impact site. Uh, impact site. Um, but no, no, no. Um, okay, at least from the accounts that I have, Jesse Marcel went with Mac Brazel to the debris field first because that's where oh, that's okay. where he collected the uh pieces of materials that he went and showed his family before going back to roswell army airfield and turning it in. okay yeah, yeah I, I i think you're right i was a little i was a little unclear of the uh locations of things there yeah um they say but the- i just want to throw this out there they say there are three sites of interest at least relating to that crash and there's basically the debris field is the largest site where it actually made contact with the earth and then skipped. There is an intermediary site in between the actual crash site and the debris field where some witnesses reported to find more alien bodies other than the four that were oh, found wow. at the impact site. Yeah. Maybe it was like an escape pod that also failed or something. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that Well, that's the interesting thing about the crash site is the vehicle that they find there... Um, a lot of the witnesses think that it is literally an escape pod. Like it's just a piece of the actual structure that had crashed into right. the earth. It's not actually like the whole thing. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, so when Jesse, when Jesse uh, finds the debris, he takes uh, two, one or two boxes of stuff in his car. Mm-hmm. He takes one box into his home, wakes up his wife and child, uh, shows them the material, the uh, the metal that would flatten itself out, the uh, the wood like I beam thingy. Uh, what what they think then, might have been fiber optics that we did not have at the time. Yeah, fiber optics um, weren't invented until seventies, eighties, somewhere around there. It was after way after the forties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he took everything back, uh, and then. Did something that, this is why it's a good thing I never joined the military. Uh, I never would have taken everything to the mil- I would have kept something. A piece of the metal, one of those I-beams, something. Some people think he uh, did. Uh, yeah, but not even his family has been able to find it. Like, all of the uh, uh, supposed locations of him and Mac Brazel's uh, souvenirs have been proven false. Yeah. Um, I, I really do think, uh, in Brazel's case, uh, when the government apparently paid him a decent amount of money uh, to, stay quiet. To, to stay quiet and change his story, like, it's like, hey, we can kill you and everyone you love, or you can take some money and shut up. Uh, it sounds like he did turn over everything uh, out, of, out of his own personal interest. And Jesse Marcel, I really, it does sound like he was such a... Uh, good soldier uh and truly believed in like i'm doing my duty as an american i i I truly believe that he would have turned everything to put it in context of who jesse marcel was he was involved with the bombing of nagasaki and hiroshima and he was actually an integral part of that plan he helped map out the way that they would be bombed so this dude is all in for you know the u.s military like oh yeah Uh uh, that's also worth noting that this isn't just uh, some some guy in the army. This is like a top aerospace engineer for the army. Yeah, um, he is that... smart and important. <laughs> yes. 
the the 509th bomb squadron is like the nuclear bomb squadron of the united states at that time they are the only squadron that handles nuclear materials at that time so very interesting that all of this weird strangeness would occur in the area that they exist you know like what are the chances yeah ah crazy crazy um so he gathers the materials, uh, takes it back to base, uh, reports to his commanding officer, um, whose name I'm forgetting. His uh, commanding officer at the Roswell Army Airfield is uh, Colonel Blanchard. But yes, thank you. Um, Jesse Marcel was also dealing with, um, I want to say, General Ramey, um, who is who everyone kind of says was kind of the architect of covering up Roswell. Like he was the guy who was like, we need to get this under wraps. And no one really knows if that's because he received orders from higher up above him, or if he was the guy who kind of realized that, Oh, this has to do with something that people shouldn't know about. So we need to get it under control now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the army goes out there, they scoop up the debris, um, uh, in between, uh, them getting the debris and uh, what would come out uh, the photo of Jesse Marcel holding the uh, weather balloon uh, in between that is when we get that piece uh, from the public information officer Walter Holt uh, sent out the press release uh, saying that they had recovered a flying disc Walter Holt um, oh did I say Holt? yeah H-A-U-T oh my bad yeah. my bad yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> He, Sorry, okay. quick, right? I just want to go ahead and say that Walter Hot is probably my favorite person in all of this ordeal because I guess I can go ahead and bring this up since you've mentioned him. He, yeah. at the request of Don Schmidt, one of the researchers who wrote Witness to Roswell, he, he wrote a, a sealed affidavit before he died recounting his version of what happened at Roswell in 1947. He did not... He was not willing to say in interviews anything that happened uh, because yeah. he had made a promise to Blanchard the uh, commanding officer of Roswell Army Airfield who he was really close with that he would never say anything about it so he kept that promise and he made a, a sealed affidavit um, and when he died his family released that affidavit and it is awesome it just lays out every it tells exactly what people have been saying happened all along word for word. Like, it's really cool. Yeah. That's something else that we'll, uh, we'll definitely post, uh, on social media somewhere is a link to a copy of that affidavit. Cause it, it, it is a read. Yeah. It's a fun read. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, the, that comes out, but then very quickly the story changes to it's a weather balloon. Um, do you know, uh, which one of his commanding officers, uh, was the one who pushed for, uh marcel to hold up the picture of the that was Ramy weather balloon so Ramy, yeah so jesse marcel takes his evidence from roswell army airfield and goes to fort worth texas where general Ramy is and you know Ramy he shows up and according to testimony from marcel and others who were there he he goes and meets Ramy, puts the objects on his desk Ramey takes Marcel to another area away from the box of objects, and when he comes back, the objects are gone, and in its place are parts of a weather balloon. And Ramey is basically like, okay, now we're going to take pictures with these weather balloon parts, and you're going to say that this is what was found. 
Yeah, in that photo, you can just tell uh, Jesse Marcel is like, this is some bullshit. Yeah. This is a load of barnacles. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, 100% his face is like, are you really making me fucking do this right now? Like, <laughs> like he's smiling kind of, but in that weird, like, confused, yeah. I don't know what the fuck just happened kind of smile. <laughs> um, so this is where... Um, the, the official story becomes it's a weather balloon, and um, this is where Jesse Marcel, Vac Brazel, and anyone else who talked about seeing a strange activity around Roswell starts getting the uh, threats of, hey, we'll fucking kill ya. Yep. <laughs> uh, but really, uh, I, I believe that the government kind of shot themselves in the foot there, uh, because people are going to talk no matter how how you threaten them. Like, uh, massive amounts of people that are experiencing the same thing, they're going to talk about it. And then you add a level of the government is threatening to kill us if we don't shut up. That's just, you're pouring gasoline instead of water on a fire there, my guy. Yep. It just, <laughs> it, you know, it's crazy. There, There's a guy who did not work at Roswell Army Airfield, who was brought in shortly after the events of July 4th weekend in 1947, specifically to be the strong arm guy, because they knew yeah. his person. I can't remember his name, and I didn't take a note of it, but um, they brought him in, and basically because he was known for having a hard-ass reputation, and they wanted him to intimidate people, and that's exactly what he did. Yeah. Uh I mean, they, they were intimidating everybody. Uh, to transport the bodies in a uh, covert manner, they had someone deliver uh, children's coffins uh, to one of the bases, and they even threatened the coffin delivery driver, yep. uh, who later came out and said, yeah, this is what happened, this is what I saw, here's what they said to me, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yep. It's a whole they're doing a terrible job of covering their tracks by trying to cover them too, too hard. Yes. It's, it's makes for very fun research though. Like this story is just so insane from everybody's different perspectives. It's really like you're trying to cover up a glass of wine that you spilled by just throwing the bottle on the floor on top of it. So relating (laughs) to that hospital and the, and the tiny coffins incident, Roswell Army Airfield does not have a morgue. Um, So in order to handle dead bodies and things like that, they have to contract out outside help for coffins and, you know, morgue things. So that's why that happened. Another interesting thing for that was um, there was a secretary of the Roswell Army Airfield Hospital. Her name was uh, Miriam Bush. She apparently was in the hospital when the bodies were in there and they were examining them. And one of her commanders grabbed her and said, I need to show you something. And he basically takes her to the area where these bodies are and she sees them. And, you know, this is an account from her family because she, in 1989, December of 1989 specifically, had become obsessed with she became super paranoid she thought somebody was following her everywhere she went and she was worried and you know she had obviously spoken about the events that happened at roswell um 
to what extent i'm not really sure but at least to her family and and like researchers who are interviewing her um mm. she checks into a motel under her sister's name because she's that paranoid and then the next morning is found dead that's wild yeah like what Wild. and this you know that event could have had nothing to do with roswell at all or it could have had everything to do with roswell we can never really know you know I, I haven't really dug too much into that rabbit hole of the whole thing, but I just think that that's interesting because it's the only like straight up murder of a witness that I had read about relating to this case so far. Yeah, ma'am. Yeah, yeah, I guess she would be the only person that saw the bodies not on the military's terms that we're aware of. Like everyone else who saw them was there in some sort of official capacity, except for. Uh, Mac Brazel, but Mac Brazel never saw bodies. Well, that is also something that's debated. People think that he did because he had mentioned it to um, locals before he ever went to mm. Roswell and reported it to George Wilcox, the sheriff of Roswell. Um, people had mentioned him saying that to them, and um, actually after all of these events, his family even said that he became really reclusive and depressed and basically just, this event ruined his fucking life as it did a lot of other people's actually the sheriff of roswell george wilcox ended up committing suicide um jesus yeah because this shit got so out of hand like why why did all of this have to be covered up even even if you don't want to think that this was a ufo like fine you can have that thought but obviously there was a cover-up going on because all of these people involved are acting strange. The the government's version of events don't make sense, you know, and all of the witnesses agree that that is not what happened. It was not a weather balloon. Yeah, uh, just while we're while we're on the darker end of things before we lighten it back up uh, to ufology, uh, it, it is worth noting. Um, and this is a fact that I learned uh, in my research, uh, listening to uh, last podcast on the left, which I listen uh, to, they that get also. way, <laughs> they get way more in depth uh, than we're going to. They have a two part episode. I highly recommend listening to it. Um, but they talk about some experiments that uh, Russia and the U.S. were doing uh, that was left over from uh, Nazi experiments involving uh, children. And I don't want to talk about it here. Uh, we're not a murder show. We're a uh, Monsters and Aliens <laughs> show. Uh, um, and maybe we'll maybe we'll cover it if we ever do like um, an episode on crazy government experiments like MK Ultra and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, we might get into this then. Uh, but listen to the last podcast episode or do your own research uh type i guess google roswell nazi experiments and get ready to read some very sad very fucked up stuff yes <laughs> yeah there are many conspiracy theories relating to roswell that suggest that you know the un the unidentified object might have been of russian origin not extraterrestrial um i'm not convinced of that but because, I mean, just the sheer number of witness testimonies that mention alien bodies and very descriptive of them and all of the descriptions lining up with each other. like Right. The main, the main reason, um, 
well, one of the main reasons I should say that I disagree uh, with that read on it is if the U.S. Army had taken, uh, like, had physical evidence of the Russians using experimental technology uh, with that involved harming children uh, in experiments that were left over from the Nazis, even though there is evidence if that was happening, the U.S. was doing the same thing. That's neither here nor there. Uh project paper the fact that they had that and didn't use that as propaganda uh during the red scare and the cold war and everything it seems unlikely to me yeah yeah it's Um, i mean you can definitely go down that rabbit hole too i didn't go too far down it just because the very surface uh reasonings didn't resonate with me as far as making sense with witness testimony but um yeah just another interesting take on it i guess Uh, and that really that really goes to show that uh no one knows 100 percent uh what happened here except higher-ups in the government at this point um the fact that it's debated between was it just a weather balloon was it aliens was it uh from a political enemy of the united states at the time and no one can say 100% that's absolutely what happened. Just shows you the intrigue around Roswell as a whole. It's it's something that I don't think is ever going to stop being discussed. Even if the government came out and said, here's 100% the truth of what happened. Uh, I think some people would still, because we're so far removed from it now, be like, are they lying again? Yeah. What's going on? Um, they would have to dig up actual physical documents from that time period, release them to the public, you know. And and the interesting yeah. thing about that is, this, this kind of leads me to another thing that I thought was just like, wow, how convenient, you know. Um, there was a research lab that contracted frequently with the uh, Wright-Patterson uh, army airfield at the time which is in dayton ohio which is the location apparently where all of the wreckage of the ufo was transported to from roswell that was its ultimate destination so basically wright patterson contracts um this research lab called battelle b-a-t-t-e-l-e-e um or e-l-l-e um they contract them to do research on memory metal um so a lot of people well, I won't say a lot of people, but at least the researchers from this book and one of their associates who actually did the research into this area of interest believe that the government seeded the memory metal concept from the crash at Roswell. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, so this lab does some research. They, you know, obviously they're documenting their research. All of this documented documents are highly classified the only thing the researchers can find are references to these material, the source materials and the research papers. They cannot actually find the research papers at all. They call Wright-Patterson Army Airfield or what it is now. Um, it's not called that anymore, I don't think. But uh, their historians there cannot find any documents. They say they don't have them. The researchers contacted Battelle. Battelle says that um, they don't have them either. And uh, they actually did an interview with one of the scientists whose names is frequently mentioned alongside these research papers. 
and uh, I can't remember his name at the moment, but um, he basically says, oh yeah, Wright-Patterson Army Airfield requested that those papers go back to them once we were done. So he yeah. basically admits that, oh, they have them, and they had them. Whatever, whatever happened to them was something they did. So interestingly enough, a material was developed from this research called nitinol, and it is a combination of nickel and titanium, which has memory metal properties. You can oh wow you can bend this metal and it will go back to its original shape. Um, you can't burn it. So it has a lot of similar properties reported from the materials found by eyewitness testimony at the Roswell crash site. Um, it's in use in a lot of things today because it was made public. Um, from government research in the 19th, end of the 60s, beginning of 70s. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, a lot of people think that there's a lot of dots to connect there and that this material that we have now would not exist if it were not for the crash of at Roswell in 1947. Ah. Wow, that's so interesting. It's so, so cool. That, it's so cool. That's... Again, researching Roswell is just a rabbit hole because it really is, it is the groundwork uh, for all uh, ufology and just, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, and that I know I'm going to call alien theory. Just like, it, it really is what made it popular. And I'm not saying, of course, this is not the first time people had reported seeing uh, weird things in the sky. Uh, that's been happening since before history was recorded uh but this is the first time that a giant government got involved publicly <laughs> with, publicly with uh with something like that so it, it it really is it is uh properly called the granddaddy of all ufology yep um because it it really is what brought at least uh in america it's what brought it to the forefront of the public consciousness and it's very interesting yep um the government they i will say they did a good job initially of a cover-up as far as like keeping it silent for decades yeah. because nobody yeah. really talked about this stuff for 30 or 40 years after you know 1947 and that is insane like that is a lot of covering up <laughs> to do <laughs> Yeah, no one really talked about it. And then in the late 70s, Spock from Star Trek had a show called In Search Of, uh, in which uh, Jesse Marcel was a guest on. And that's where a lot of the footage of uh, him talking comes from. Yep. Uh, and that really re-sparked uh, conversations of Roswell. Uh, as a matter of fact, this whole process of... Uh, what happened with Roswell and the public consciousness has started something, uh, a phenomenon that skeptics call Roswellian syndrome. Um, Interesting. And I've heard of this. It, it, it is a, it is a, basically the scientific method um, that skeptics believe happens anytime an event like Roswell happens in the public consciousness and why they say so popular and why they, um, are talked about and studied so much. Um, basically, it goes like this. After an event, uh, there are five stages that it goes through. It goes through... That's Mezzi. Just ignore her. <laughs> That's my dog. 
<laughs> it goes through uh, incident, debunking, submergence, mythologizing, reemergence, and the media bandwagon effect. And uh, it's what skeptics, I believe this was uh, popularized by skeptic Joe Nickel. Um, it's what they say happens and why it, why people believe these things even after they are quote-unquote debunked. Uh, but to that, uh, I say there has been nothing that the government has produced that makes me believe their story. I'm not saying that the lack of the evidence from the government uh, tells me that it was UFOs. I'm saying based on my... Based on my own uh, research, that is the conclusion that I am drawing. Yeah, I. it's okay that if you don't think it's UFO related, I just, I don't see how anyone could think this was a weather balloon, given everyone's no. testimony, and why would the government go to such great lengths to say that it was a weather balloon if it was just a weather balloon, and why would anyone care if it was just weather balloon parts out there? Like, it's everyday materials that a rancher if he had seen those he wouldn't have cared about like you know right it's it's crazy she is being so um, fussy <laughs> she is a very good girl she though is. um check our instagram for pictures of shane's dog yes. uh, <laughs> um another thing that the roswell incident gave us is the concept of the grays um if you've seen a picture of an alien uh, on a t-shirt or something uh it's probably based on the grays it's the it's the like almond shaped head with the almond shaped eyes like the tiny stereotypical bodies. alien that's that was the account of the bodies that they found uh from everyone who claims to have seen a body yep uh, matched the description of the grays um so that's where this came from i also uh brief uh personal conspiracy that i have so the roswell report case closed which came out in july of 1994 which was the government's last statement on the subject saying it was project mogul it was a weather balloon that was their official caveat stance. almost last statement on it but can caveat. continue i'll go back to that okay uh so that happened in 94 um i was born in 91 i remember the later half of the 90s as a child uh, and I remember alien merchandise, like giant inflatable aliens and the t-shirts and the little, the little toys, just crap you would get at, like, a booth at the mall or, like, a, a game at a fair or something. It was everywhere. everywhere. I remember that. And I really think that was, uh, the government uh, doing a big marketing campaign to be like, oh, see, look, it was just, like, a goofy story. Aren't aliens funny? Let's make them, like... Let's put them everywhere. Let's make a bunch of schlock so people get tired of talking about aliens. Um, it, it's just interesting that it was such a thing in the mid to late 90s, even the early 2000s a little bit, and that happened almost immediately after yeah. the Roswell report came I out. Just just, that's my own personal conspiracy. Those, those, <laughs> those like... Three foot tall green blow up aliens. I remember those specifically. They were everywhere. I loved them. I had one. Yeah. You you remember? They yeah, were, my my thing. mom worked at an arcade in the early two thousands, and she had a bunch of them in there. Like 
it's just cool stuff. But um, to go back to the uh, the Roswell report, case closed. The government actually had to go back and amend the Roswell report, case closed, because they did not account for all of the eyewitness testimonies about bodies being recovered. So because there was such an overwhelming amount of testimony about this, they went back and said, oh, those were test dummies that we we flew with these balloons because we were practicing things. Like, it didn't make any sense. They basically just said, oh, those were just dummies that were, like, they, they had white bodies and they look like people. Which... One doesn't account for the fact that everybody says these these bodies were child size, like three to four feet tall. Because these test dummies, mm-hmm. you can, you know, look for that time period. You can go back and see what they look like, and they're big. They're as tall as like an average adult male. Adult man. Yeah. yeah. Like it uh, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and that doesn't explain why you had those children's coffins. Yeah. Delivered like, uh, and and also that those dummies are a big part of uh, Project Mogul, and those those dummies didn't exist until the fifties. Yeah, that was the other thing. People were like, um, "Time period's wrong on that." <laughs> yeah, and if you watch the clip of uh, I I don't know the guy's name, um, a, a high ranking official in the Air Force was giving a press conference when the book was released. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he, when he gets to the Q and A portion. Uh, dude looks like like he's in over his head, and it's hilarious. The reporters—they're literally asking him all these questions. They're like, "Okay, you say that, but why? Like, it doesn't jive with the the story of events." Like, so funny. It's It's so funny. Um, do you have any other big points you want to bring up? Um, just another little interesting factoid. This has to do with the researchers, uh, Don Schmidt and Thomas Carey. When, you know, throughout their research, they were approached by the Discovery Channel, specifically researchers from Mythbusters, about doing a segment relating to the Roswell incident. And, uh, you know, uh, Don Schmidt and Thomas Carey basically say they think they were trying to use them as props to advance the weather balloon theory. So instead of just mm-hmm. going with the script that the Mythbus- Mythbuster people had kind of, you know, come to them with, they offered, why don't you guys recreate the weather balloon explanation? Make the the weather balloons that were being made at the time and make it crash in a similar area and produce a similar effect. And they never heard back from them after that. They oh, were wow. unwilling to do it. Like, that's... Good. Like, what? <laughs> Man, I I love the Myth Mythbusters uh so much. Uh, Adam Savage, uh, if you haven't checked out his YouTube channel, it's delightful. Yeah. Uh, highly recommended. Uh, big respect for those guys. Yeah. Um. Also, something we glossed over. Um, we talked about how the different metals that were found at the site were later created for technology. Um, it's said that the the basically the blueprints for uh stealth bombers and stealth jets that the US military has uh, are directly lifted from what was found at Roswell um that's a huge belief and i find that fairly plausible and very interesting yeah yeah a lot of a lot of people think that some of the more advanced technologies we have today are because of the Roswell incident in 1947, which, you know, if we got, if the U S government got its hands on alien technology, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, um, 
just crazy. Uh, so if you have nothing else, I thought it'd be fun uh, just at the end here uh, for us to tell the audience of our uh, dabblings as kids in ufology. Um, so do you have do you have anything else you want to bring up before we get kind of silly? Nope. So I I don't even know if you remember this. We were so young. Um, I at the Scholastic Book Fair. <laughs> <laughs> one year uh used some uh some lunch money to purchase <laughs> a a blue book Whoa. oh my god i remember uh, that thing yeah it, it, it was like the small blue book and it had a picture of a gray on it it was like it wasn't colored in the book was entirely blue. All of the writing was in green, yes. and like the not colored in outline of the alien was in green. If anyone listening can track uh, me down, tell me what it was. Uh, I would love to own it. Just like put it on my shelf as a nostalgia piece. Um, but basically, it like gave a breakdown of the major uh, UFO events around the world, like a very small, like so a child could understand it breakdown, and then it gave you like tips on how to uh watch the sky and like what to look for in case you're seeing a ufo so i was obsessed with this thing and shane and i used to like go on walks and just like stare at the sky and like write down what we were saying we each had like our own little notebook so we could keep track of it and uh nothing major ever happened but it was just it, it was such a fun way to kill some weekends and summer nights as kids. Yes. <laughs> so I fun. do remember that book and being jealous that you had it. Uh, it was so cool. <laughs> um, I can't remember anything specifically from when I was a kid about um, UFOs other than that. And like just us, you know, staring at the sky and just being curious. But yeah. um, I will say uh, one of my best friends and I and uh, another mutual friend, one day when I was 22, I want to say 22, somewhere around there. Um, I had just helped my mom move into a new apartment and we were leaving and driving back to my house. And on the way back, we all see this giant ring of fire in the sky. Like it's literally just like a giant ring that looks like it had been set on fire and it's just slowly rotating in one position. And all three of us saw it. Um, we weren't under the influence of anything. We were all completely sober and just, mystified that is the craziest thing i've ever seen in the sky personally um and i'm glad that i had two other people to witness it with me because it sounds insane <laughs> yeah i i've definitely seen things when i was on psychedelics but i i've never had a a true ufo experience however um i did the, the closest thing i've had uh is I was I was alone, uh, staying at my grandma's house. Uh, by alone, I just mean that Shane wasn't there. Uh, last episode, we talked about how we basically grew up together. Um, so uh, I'm sleeping, and I have a dream uh, where I'm abducted. I don't remember like getting lifted or anything, but I just remember kind of hazily being uh, on a table and uh, beings looking at me. Now, I... Uh, since I was a small child, have had glasses, I have horrible eyesight, and that carried over into the dream, so I couldn't tell exactly what was looking at me in the dream. It was all just kind of, like, vague smudges, uh, and bright light, and then they beamed me down, and what woke me up from that dream 
was the feeling, like, it knocked the breath out of me, the feeling of hitting my bed. And when I woke up, it was because the air was knocked out of me and the bed was shaking. Um, so either something happened or I had a crazy dream where I sat up and just slammed back down in the bed, which is possible. Hey. <laughs> Night terrors run in our family. So Some people think that... Uh... Aliens are spiritual or psychological, so maybe they abducted your soul or your mind for for a minute and then sent it back down into your body, and it just kind of like, you know. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and, and it should be said, um, ufology and extraterrestrials and just the whole thing is such a massive topic. This is far, far from the last time uh, Shane and I are going to be talking about uh aliens and ufos it's just we wanted to talk about this one early uh for the same reason that we did bigfoot uh one is that it is uh such a well-known event that we wanted to kind of get it out of the way um before we get into more of the weird stuff uh we wanted to catch you early with the big stuff throw a big net um and they're interesting but also (laughs) Oh, yeah, no, no, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're not interesting. They're just the most popular. Yeah. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, the episode we're probably doing next week is another big one. Uh, but also, it's important to do Roswell uh, first when you're going to do uh, more discussions about ufology. Because like I said at the beginning of the episode, this really lays the groundwork for what we understand as modern uh, ufology and just uh, our current belief of how extraterrestrials may or may not be interacting with our government. Yeah. Um, Also, a a last little interesting factoid I have um, about Walter G. Hott, um, the press officer for the Roswell Army Airfield, the one who released the news article saying, we have captured a flying saucer. Um, he actually started the UFO museum in Roswell. Um, he, you know, that is just so interesting to me. Like, he would never <laughs> talk about it, but yet he starts this UFO museum that is completely interested in, in finding out the truth about all things related to UFO. So, well, sounds like he, like most people, does not hate money. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure it was a good financial investment as well. That's actually a lot of arguments I read for people who tend to believe the government's uh, story. They're like, there was so much money to be made on all this alien, you know, hysteria that why wouldn't you just go along with it? And it's like, okay, yeah, but these people were telling their families and close friends and they're all very sincere and have very specific stories that line up with each other. Yeah, I I, I said that as a joke uh, because opening a museum especially a very niche museum like that. It's not the best way to make money. You need proof. Talk to anyone who works at a museum. <laughs> that, is, that is also very true. Yeah, like, he would have he would have sold a book or, you know, <laughs> some merchandise yeah. or something. But... Yeah. All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed our coverage. Uh, I, I definitely recommend looking into this yourself. There is so much that we just, we do not have time to get into. Um but it is an endlessly interesting and researchable topic. Um, so if you if you need a rabbit hole to go down, this is not a bad one, and it never ends. Yes, and definitely um, if you're interested in researching but don't want to spend a whole lot of time finding good sources, 
check out Witness to Roswell. Both of the researchers are highly respected researchers in this field, and they they do a really good job of laying out all of the information that they've uncovered thus far. So, As I said earlier, this is far from the last time we're going to talk about aliens. Um, so if you're more interested in aliens than you are in cryptids, don't worry, we'll be getting back to it. Uh, but next week, we are going back into the realm of cryptozoology, and we are going to be covering the Loch Ness Monster. Dun, dun, dun. I, I'm so excited for this one. I love reading about Nessie. Uh, we'll talk about it then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be fun. It, and, you know, I'm I'm kind of on the, the side that I don't think Nessie's a thing. So I'm actually interested to dive into this more so and, and maybe get my mind changed or maybe not. Oh, I see. I didn't re- I didn't realize you were a skeptic. This is going to be so good. Then. <laughs> All right. Well, looking forward to that episode. Until then, I've been Justin Butler. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Blame It on Butler. If you're interested in film, please check out my other podcast, Sounds Familiar. And you can find this show on Twitter and Instagram at I Hope You Exist. Shane doesn't have social media, so now he's going to plug something from you, the community, or just something he is into recently. Yeah, so I do not have social media, but um, something interesting that I've watched with my boyfriend John recently, we watched a uh, New York Times coverage of Britney Spears and the ongoings with her and her family. If you don't know, she's under a conservatorship, which means currently her father handles all of her finances. It's a very interesting legal case because a lot of people can see that Britney Spears is fully capable of managing her finances in her own life. And they think she's basically being held as like a money slave. And for a lot of her career was working at the discretion of her her father and the others in charge of her her wealth and and her image um and now she refuses to perform or do anything until uh at least she says her father is not in charge of her finances it's a really cool story if you're even slightly interested in pop culture or like you know pop artists britney spears is a huge pop icon it's worth checking out very interesting very sad i'll probably check it out because you've, you've piqued my interest it's on hulu um But if you, the community, our fans, the people, want a chance to be uh, featured by Shane on our podcast, please reach out to us on social media or email us at ihopeyouexist at gmail.com. Until then, stay strange, and we'll see you next week. That was Shane kissing you. (laughs) Good night, sweet princes and princesses. You don't have to put that in there. (laughs) 